Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> no, it was Halo. What? But it was very close to Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Actually, now that you mention it, those two themes are almost identical. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. I was sure I had it. I was going to go to the. Da, 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 da. Oh. I, you know what? We've been doing TV shows and stuff, so I should have done something closer to that. But now that you mention it, those two songs are very similar. When you started doing the drum intro, I was like, uh oh, I think I know where he's going. <laughs> Battlestar, I love that show. How's it going, everybody? You're listening to The Command Zone and watching it on YouTube. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Today, we have uh, some fun stuff. We're going to do a topic that uh, Josh noted that we're going to get yelled at about a lot. We are going to get yelled at a lot. Because I think people are going to constantly understand the word, misunderstand the word overrated and think we're just saying things suck. But that's not the case. Today, we are going to talk about the top five overrated cards in Commander. Top uh, five each, so each. ten total. Yeah, ten total. Yeah. You can't stack the list, though, because they're more interwoven. I don't even know if I did mine in a particular order. Anyway, we'll get to all that. Before we jump into it, we have to call out our awesome sponsors, CardKingdom.com. I love our sponsor. You know, we get, we get great feedback yeah. Constantly on Twitter, in comments, through email even. Uh, we got a nice email just recently talking about how great the service at Card Kingdom was for a specific person who had found them through us. Um, Card Kingdom will send you a little token, uh, one of their custom tokens when you order cards, singles from them. And this person had requested a specific token, a snake token, which they didn't have. So uh, an employee at Card Kingdom had actually hand-drawn a couple of <laughs> snake tokens for them. Like, that's just the kind of establishment that they are. They've got great customer service. They ship you stuff super fast. I cannot recommend them highly enough. So go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Use that affiliate link. And that is the way that you can be supporting this show and keeping the lights on. Yeah. And thank you, uh, Jacob Myers, for sending us to us. They actually have two different tokens that they drew. One of them is very cute and the other one's super serious. But yeah, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. You won't find better service. You won't find faster shipping either. Great place to go to get your cards. Also, this show is brought to you by Ultra Pro. And boy, are we happy to have Ultra Pro as a sponsor as well because they've been 
I mean, they've been killing it out the gate this year, especially with the new Eclipse sleeves that they've released. And Josh is actually holding something up very special that you can't see anywhere else. Yep, these are the black Eclipse sleeves. These are not available quite yet, but they are coming sometime in July is what they tell me. So I know a lot of people out there have been asking, why don't they have black Eclipse sleeves? They're coming. They are coming. You can get soon. them very soon. Um, and boy, I cannot wait to sleep my, my decks in this. This looks so good. That means that we're going to be the only ones at GP Vegas that can have them. <laughs> Unless you happen to win some on game nights, you might oh, you might have those. So that's true. Um, speaking of game nights, game nights number seven was just released. If you haven't checked that out, you should definitely go to our YouTube channel and watch it. Uh, it's a great episode featuring arch enemy Nicol Bolas. Yeah, we had Mel Lee come back on the show, as well as Gavin Verhe from Wizards of the Coast himself, who was one of the lead designers on the product, which is really cool, getting to work with someone that made the stuff. Yeah, and that set's super fun, so you can pre-order that right now, and I would definitely check that out. The other way to support the show is directly through patreon.com slash command zone. In fact, every single episode, we call out one lucky patron. And this episode is dedicated to David Sawyer. Sawyer. Oh, sorry, Dave, not David. It could Dave be David. Sawyer. That's a very traditional name. I like that. Dave Sawyer. He rolled down the old bayou. <laughs> It's like Tom Sawyer? Yeah, gotcha. exactly. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, also, before we get into our main topic today, uh, something very exciting came for us in the mail via Blake Rasmussen. Um, and Trick. And Trick Jarrett, two of our favorite employees over at Wizards We have it right Coast. there. You can grab it. Yeah, actually, I'm going to show it off. Okay, we're going to hold on. Stay with us while we uh, work out some technical difficulties of getting a hold of the box. It is Commander Anthology. Wow. So this is the third anthology product that Wizards of the Coast has released now. You can see the other two behind me. We have the Dual Decks anthology as well as the Plane Chase anthology. Uh, they're great. They're big boxes, and they come with ugh, four Commander decks inside this time. It's one from each of the years up to, I think, 2015. Uh, yeah, everything with the four-color Commanders. Right. So you're going to get the Kalia deck as well as the Derevi deck, the Freilis deck, and finally the Marin deck. And something that's very exciting, too, is that inside the box, you not only get one of these spin downs, you get four of them. Yeah, I remember in, like, the uh, Commander's Arsenal, yep. and Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas has one of these, but you only got one, right? Yeah. This includes four of these cool life counter. Um, They're really neat. What are these? They're not dice. They're, like, spin downs, I, I guess, kind of, except we have names for spin downs. The cool thing is they can go up to 99 life. Uh, it has one through nine, zero through nine on both sides, and so you can just use this to track your life and then set it down on the table. Boom, there's 40, you just crank it down. These things are super great, uh, and it was it did suck because before you could only get them in the Commander's Arsenal and on the product. We actually got to play the Commander's Anthology. Uh, we had some friends in town. In fact, we had Cassius Marsh in town, and we got everybody together to play this stuff straight out of the box. And uh, I got to say, like they chose really good decks. They're super fun. Uh, the games felt really like balanced, and everybody... You know, that environment with these four decks specifically feels yeah. fun. Also, there's something very exciting because each of these decks... Comes with all the tokens you'll ever need in the deck inside each box. That's not what I was talking about, but oh. yeah. Each of these decks, the main commander, so Marin, Kalia, Derevi, and Freilis, for the first time ever, those are available in foil. Wow. If you're watching the video, you can see me shining around the foil Marin, normal, not oversized commander. So, yeah, it's the first time I think you can get Marin in foil. The second time for Kalia because she was also in the commander's arsenal. But that card was very hard to get. So this is great because 
They started this trend with uh, the four color commanders, right. and I'm glad they're continuing it here. It is only the main commander of the deck, though. The other commanders hidden inside the deck aren't foil, but it's still really exciting. A foil, Marin. I know a lot of people would kill for that card. Yeah, that's going to be super popular. So, yeah, I found the anthology super fun. How did you like it? I liked it a lot. Also, just because I'm a collector and I like having them. Uh, recently, I've been, I taught my friend how to play, and we, we've been doing the dual decks and stuff, but he really wanted to learn how to play commander. And I just took out two of my regular commander decks, and boy, was the power level not correct. For it's a too complicated, one right? Yeah, and, it's too and, much stuff. Yeah, a fully tuned deck. Yeah, we have a lot of people ask us, like, I want to get into commander, or I have friends that I want to get them into commander, and how should I start? And we always say the pre cons are a great way to go, a great jumping yeah. off point. And this is even better because you get a couple of decks. And yeah, four, not even a couple. Yeah, you get four decks, and you know they can try different ones, and and you can play within that specific environment. It was sort of designed for these decks to play together, and it feels yeah, you know, fair and balanced and fun, and not so complex from fully tuned decks that it's just hard to sort of. That's not great for a new player when you just pull out like you know all the, the legacy staple cards and yeah. put them into a commander deck. So this is like starter decks for commander. It's but great. It's, it's also a great jumping off point to build actual decks because that Marin deck, that mm -hmm. thing is super super uh powerful like it doesn't take a ton of tuning till it can stand up with basically any deck that i own yeah uh, you just need to have a couple of cheap sack outlets to put in there and then you're set so commander anthology big fan yeah. uh i would recommend checking that out yep all right which one of us gets this box though i don't, I don't know we have to fight over it i told blake <laughs> that we would fight over it and he was like actually fight I, on and i asked like, blake Ugh. i asked blake for two of them and he's like we only have one and i was like well then jimmy and i have to fight and Jimmy's scrappy. I am pretty scrappy. Yeah. I am red, so <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm gonna play with passion and not by the rules necessarily. <laughs> All right, let's get into the big main topic here. It is the top five overrated cards in Commander. That's five each. Yep. We both made our list separately as we usually do. Um, and there was no overlap, which is great. Uh, pretty interesting. Pretty it interesting. It was actually we came up with the topic and then we're like texting each other the next day, like, this is hard. Yeah. I wanna stress overrated does not mean these cards we think are bad. In fact, many of the cards I'm going to talk about, I do have in some of my decks. It's just that I think the average the average player or the, the general consensus out there is a little bit higher the, uh, evaluation than I have. That's what overrated, right? Yep. It's rated at a certain point, and I think that that rating for my cards on my list is too high, and I wouldn't rate that card specifically quite as high. So yeah. Go ahead, it's fine. Yell at us. It's, I'm used to it anyway. I'm just saying, like, I, all my cards are good. All the cards on my list are good. I think all the cards on Jimmy's list are good cards. Like, yeah. it's not like never play those cards. I just think these are cards that I find myself sometimes not putting in decks or even recently maybe taking out in favor of other things. Uh, yeah, for me, it's I see other people play these cards sometimes. Sometimes I'm the, the person playing too much of them. But uh, hyperbole is a huge part of the magic culture. Like, we're always like, X card is the best card ever. Or, like, if you play Y, you can't lose. Which is like, well, I mean, yeah, you can. <laughs> you can still lose. Um, so while it's fun to make a bunch of bold statements, we want to we rein it in a little bit and talk about cards that I often see that when they get played, I, I literally just go, I don't think that card's very good. Or, like, that card's not going to perform the way you want it to. And or, like, sometimes it does and it's awesome, but the average case scenario tends to be not as good, so yeah. I don't like how swingy it is, maybe. Or or the person defending it, including myself, defends it to the point where it's like, hold on, do you think you're potentially overvaluing how good this card is? All right, so all the caveats out of the way. 
Don't yell at us. <laughs> Go ahead. Do it. Especially for this first one. Oh, boy. I was so excited to see this on your list because I was about to put it on mine. <laughs> yeah. You're sort of in your honorable mentions category. I, I know I'm going to get yelled at for this one a lot. Number five from Josh Lee Kwai. My number five. These are in no particular order. Are yours in order of no. how strongly? Okay. No, so, not, not really. Yeah. So it's Birds of Paradise. Caca. <laughs> Is that what it sounds like? Yeah. Birds of Paradise, very classic car. This has been around since what? Revised? Alpha. Alpha, yeah. yeah. It's one green for a one, zero one creature bird with flying, and you tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. The famous story about this card is that originally the art for the very first card was supposed to be Volcanic Island. So they had commissioned an artist to paint or draw Volcanic Island. And what they got back was a picture that had a bird featured very prominently in front of the <laughs> island. And they were like, this, this art's not going to work for that card because... Yeah. And so Richard Garfield was like, well, I have this art, so I just need, I, I can't afford to just, at that point in the game, just pay an artist and not use the art. So he yeah. designed Birds of Paradise to fit the art. Yeah, and all the way up to, I think, 6th or even 7th edition. Yeah, 6th edition, this art remained the same. You'll see an island in the background with clear like smoke Vol- billowing <laughs> from it. It's a volcanic island, and then a huge red bird in the front. And so, that's the Birds of Paradise. Why is it overrated, Josh? Um, listen, the card's very good. Don't get me wrong, and I do play it in many decks, but I do not play it in every deck with green because it is vulnerable. And, very. and it might be a little bit particular to our meta, where, which has a high amount of, um, of board wipes and wraths. But I find that often you'll play Birds of Paradise, you'll get two or three uses out of it, and then the board gets wiped. And that doesn't feel great it feels like i lost a card i got marginal use out of it now i like it in the decks especially decks that have like a three drop uh commander because i it possibly allows me to play my three drop commander on turn two Mm -hmm. if i have a four drop commander i sort of like it less obviously a two drop commander i sort of like it less um and then uh, uh, if the commander's playing around with creatures specifically like rishkar or something even though I didn't necessarily put it in Rishkar because I want my one drop to have other utility because Rishkar already turns it into a mana dork. But you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, if you're Animar or if you're... Animar is great with yeah, this card. It, I understand. Because always when we talk about things in this manner, Jimmy, I don't know if you've noticed, people will go in the comments or on Twitter, even email, and they'll sort of list these reasons why the card's good. And most of those reasons boil down to, when I play it in this specific deck, it's good. And I'm not arguing that. What I'm arguing is that there's many times where that deck is not that specific deck and Birds of Paradise is marginal. You know, if you're not messing around with creatures, then it's not great. Like my five-color Nekusar deck does not want Birds of Paradise Mm -hmm. because that deck wants to wipe the board constantly, keep the board clear, and get everybody drawing a bunch of cards. And the way that it evens out this advantage that it's giving other players is that it just keeps wiping all the stuff off the board. So it's like you keep having to refill the board with stuff. But every time you do that, you're actually drawing too many cards to sort of keep up with that. Yeah. And and I have, a, you know, Vile Smasher. Well, Vile Smasher does want this card because you want it's a three-drop commander. <laughs> um, but there's a whole bunch of decks I have that have green. Like uh, my Rune deck doesn't necessarily want Birds of Paradise. In general, I'm a bigger fan of Manor Rocks because you can tap them the turn that you play them. Uh, now, Birds of Paradise, again, works really well. Three-drop commanders, Animal are cards that, you know, want to mess with creatures, like you said. But yeah, I, I just like rocks in general a little better and it's harder to remove an artifact than it is a creature now obviously artifacts still get removed yeah i'm like hedging so much and i feel bad about that 
I just because I know I'm going to get yelled at about this one, but well, birds can be as good, you know, a good chump blocker for a flyer. Sometimes it fixes for any color, but at the same time, you know, I'd still rather run the signet in a lot of cases because it's not it's going to stick around for a lot longer. It's going to fix me mana not as well as the birds. But if I built my mana base right, then that's something I shouldn't necessarily have to worry about. See, birds, I think, get so much better in singleton form, not in the non-singleton format, because you can run four of, you can almost guarantee that you're going to very high likely chance draw that in your opening hand and stuff. So that, I think, gives it a lot better play in formats that aren't EDH. Like, you draw Birds of Paradise in turn seven on EDH, like, what are you doing with that? I think a Signet at that point is still more useful. Yeah. Unless you need a blocker, you know, but... All right. Birds of Paradise, come at me. It's gonna like, gonna it's come like at I'm me. a zero one. I can't do that much. I still I still do play it in many decks. I just don't play it in every deck with green. For you sure. think it is overrated? Yes. Okay. I kind of agree. All right, my uh overrated card is also a green card. You've been hating on this card a little lately. Yeah, and every time have you seen when it's been played? It's been this played was... like maybe two or three times since I've been hating on it. How many times has it done something? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying that you have a personal vendetta against this card. I do. Uh, I what can I say? I'm trying to avenge it in some way. It is the Avenger of Zendikar. It's on the other end of the green creature spectrum. It's a five green green uh creature that works very poorly with Birds of Paradise in my dad. <laughs> When the Vendor of Zendikar enters the battlefield, create a 0-1 green plant creature token for each land you control, and it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on each plant creature you control. The this card is, is... This is crazy because you had it in your top 10 green cards two years ago when yeah. we originally did it. So this card has continued to fall for you, basically. Yeah. Because I'm, it looks so good. Yeah. And everything about it says if you have a fetch land, if you have an evolving wild, it's awesome. But here's the thing, unless your deck is built to exploit tokens and can sacrifice the things a bunch, or your land, your deck is built to have tons of haste and be able to crack fetch lands when you play the Avenger and have some kind of overwhelm effect, it, otherwise it just doesn't have that much impact. And like honestly, if you have 10 one-twos swinging at someone, eh, unless it's the end of the game and they're almost about to die, it's you're not actually, I don't think, impacting the board enough with Avenger of Zendikar. I think it's still good in a lot of decks, a deck like Marin obviously can abuse this really well. Any deck with a lot of sack outlets. Any deck that's playing an altar, like Phyrexian Altar, or Phyrex yeah, that can sacrifice all the tokens to make more mana, then great. Otherwise, you're paying seven mana to play a creature in a lot of times. And I would say this is the case like 80% of the time, waiting for your turn to come back so you can potentially play another land and use your token. It's so slow. Yeah. It's so slow. I don't know how many times we've seen it hit the table, make like nine plants. And then everyone and goes, like, everyone's uh, like, oh, uh, well. If he has a fetch land, they're all going to be two threes, and everyone's like, okay, Cyclonic Rift, Supreme <laughs> Verdict, Toxic Deluge, yeah. you know, whatever. It's it, it's just very rare, very, very rare that it comes out and does stuff. And yeah, you can give the stuff haste, but that means in the same turn that you cast a seven mana spell, you also have to somehow play a land or two. Mm -hmm. And even then, like, let's say you did that and Concordant Crossroads. You also have to get Crater Hoof Behemoth in the same turn out into play. Like, you have to Tooth and Nail, basically. And by yeah. the way, newsflash, Tooth and Nail's good even if Avenger uh, of Zendikar is not in your deck. So it's not, it's not Tooth and Nail that makes Avenger of Zendikar good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you. This card just... I, I, I don't think I play it in a single deck anymore. I play it in my tokens deck because mm -hmm. I'm able to sacrifice the tokens and use them for fodder, you know? So in, the, in that case, great. But here's the thing. It's like, it's overrated, I think, as a creature. It's underrated as, in the, as a creature that will pull out someone's board wipe. 
That's true. But <laughs> you don't want your seven mana spell to do that because that yeah. you're just even. Like you played a seven mana spell, they board wiped. You're not like good. Now, if you play a three mana spell and they have to use their board wipe, they use it earlier than they want to. They don't get a lot of stuff with it. Yeah. That's fine. But on turn seven or eight, like that's when you're probably built out. You're in green. You're not trying to draw out uh, board wipes very much at that point. Yeah. So I think this card's overrated. I don't think it's a slam dunk card in every green deck that you play. I think you really have to make sure that you can abuse it or use it well when you play it. Otherwise, it's probably not... I mean, like, you'll be lucky if it, get back, if it gets back to your turn and you're able to kill someone with, like, eight Even then, you have to also chain together something else with it to even make it do a lot. Because a yeah. lot of times, it's like, yeah, you got set... You know, you got eight one-twos. Fine, you did eight damage to me. Yay. You yeah. know what I mean? You have to have... I blocked four of them. You yeah. Know, like, that's, it just happens. Yeah. So. And yeah, it's great if you get Crater Hoof or Triumph of the Horde or whatever, but I there's a lot of things Ibex. that are great with those things. Yeah. Um, all right. I will move on to my next. I'm going to... I'm changing... I don't like the order I have my list. Sure. So I'm going to skip to that one. This one? No. Number th- what I have is the third one down. Okay. Oh, boy. Well, you're just on the want to get yelled at <laughs> ring like right now because <laughs> this is definitely going to not... You're not going to make any friends with this one, Josh. I didn't make any friends with my first one. It's almost like I like getting yelled at. All right. It is... My second most overrated card is Damnation. Dang. It's two black, black for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures that can't be regenerated. But Josh, this is a black board wipe. It's, it's the a, black Wrath of God. It's exactly Wrath of God, except for it's black and not yeah. white. Um, How can you handle this? I'm not hating on it. It's still good. I Why still do play you think this card deck. sucks, Josh? <laughs> Why? Josh Lee Kwai thinks Damnation is the worst card in Magic. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Clearly, it's Birds of Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think Damnation is good. I think it's actually third or fourth just in black uh-huh. and what happens is when you're the third or fourth best board wipe in your color because toxic deluge unequivocally better and i think decree of pain is better almost all the time mm-hmm. um there may be some specific decks where they're really worried about the extra mana but you can cycle decree of pain and decree of pain can just win you the game by drawing you 27 cards later yeah um so your third you're the third best black board wipe maybe not even third depending i'm not going to go through the whole list of the other black board wipes the problem is, okay, that's great. If you're mono black, you probably play the top three, four, five black board wipes because you can mm-hmm. only choose from the black ones. But if you're paired with any other color, now all of a sudden, well, what's the best board wipe in the other colors probably better than Damnation, especially if you're paired with white, blue. Right. Now all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's not as good as Supreme Verdict. It's definitely not as good as things like Hallowed Burial and Terminus because I would much rather put things on the bottom of the library or or exile yeah, rather than point. destroy... And the regeneration thing just doesn't come up very often. So, it you know, if I'm in white, just the cost of Damnation is like, I'll get Wrath of God and Day of Judgment. So now it's like, you know, 10th or 11th if I have white on my board wipe list. Um, you know, obviously it's below Cyclonic Rift. I think it's even below things like Evacuation, which just return all creatures to the owner's hand. Because, and again, it might be a meta consideration, but in our meta... Graveyards have been coming up. Yes, I don't want to... Ever since Marin was released and... Marin, Brea. Yeah. um, There's just a ton of graveyard recursion, and I don't want to send things to that graveyard if I don't have to. That doesn't mean I don't ever do it, but Damnation just loses a lot of value because of a a lot of those things. Also, you know, we talk about on the show all the time protecting yourself from board wipes, and one of the ways that we always talk about doing it is giving all your stuff indestructible. Mm -hmm. That's another way around Damnation, that evacuation and hallowed burial and and exile, you know, all things... Yeah. uh, 
kind of gets around. Also, it only does creatures, so a lot of my board wipes are going to want to be other things. When I say five board wipes per deck, it's usually not five destroy all creatures per deck. There's a Vandal Blast in there. Right. There's a Bane of Progress in there. There's, you know, other types of board wipes. So how many slots do I have that I need to just destroy specifically only creatures? Damnation's probably not making it. And again, I have a, I have like a couple of Damnations now because of Modern Masters. I didn't even put all of them into decks. I can only find a slot for like two damnations out really? of my twenty-four decks. Yeah, yeah. And then there's also like, what's the white, white, black, black board? Um, like merciless eviction. Yep. If you're playing white, is just I would choose this any day of the week over damnation, even though it costs more. Like again, exiling, tucking, not putting stuff into the graveyard. Think about like even just like, um, and again, it's a different color, but I'm just I'm just talking about the fact that other board wipes in other colors usually for one or two more mana have some added utility, right? The mm -hmm. damnation added utility is the clause can't be regenerated. Very rare that that matters. Think of Fumigate. Yeah. Gain one life for each creature that dies, right? That's way better. And I'd much be more willing to pay one extra mana for something like that. So, yeah, I'm just down on damnation. I don't think it's horrible. I just think it's overrated. I definitely don't think it's worth that price tag at all. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it was just because of scarcity. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I, I get why it's valuable, but from a just purely card power utility standpoint, it's like I'm not, I would not be willing to pay that amount for that effect when I can get it so much cheaper in so many other ways. Yeah, good point. All right, now oh, it's great man. for modern though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm... I mean, I think that's where a lot of the overrating comes from is that a lot of modern cards are great, but people turn that into commander low too quickly. I see, like, oh, so I see Segway man coming. I see Segway man. He's like way off in the he's distance. Way off in the distance. And he's coming towards us because, man, speaking of modern cards or cards that are powerful and modern, but maybe not as powerful, so powerful and modern that they got banned. <laughs> it's Chase the Mind Sculptor as my next top overrated card in Magic the Gathering. Segway man Commander. came from like 17 miles away. Yeah, he was like, I saw him all the way over there and he's like waving a big flag that said modern on it. I was like, oh, yeah, good point. So Jace the Mind Sculptor is typically considered the greatest Planeswalker of all time. Uh, I still don't think he's that great in EDH necessarily. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I'll tell you what planes, like Garrick Primal Hunter, or Garrick, uh, the one that just acts as Planeswalkers, that card is better than Jace, in my opinion. <laughs> That's only because Cassius like, destroyed us with it. No, I've seen that card come down <laughs> in multiple games now, and, just, and, and people just go... Oh no! Because oh, yeah. he can just kind of feels like he can do everything. Yeah, like, he does a little bit of everything. But yeah. Jace the Mind Sculptor is very specific. So let's talk about Jace. Two blue, blue for a three loyalty planeswalker. He has four abilities. The first one plus two to look at the top card of the target player's library. You may put that card on the bottom of that player's library. Uh, his zero is draw three cards and put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. That's brainstorm. Minus one, return target creature to its owner's hand, and it's minus 12, not relevant. Exile all cards from target player's library, then that player shuffles his or her hand into his or her library. I mean, it's occasionally relevant. I've never seen that happen. It's because you can't even doubling season into it. Yeah, you need to double doubling to, season yeah, double, into double, it. Yeah, yeah, doubling season and then cloud worlds. You need point. quadrupling season. Quadrupling season. Jo I, I'm designing a card. I'm still working on it. Nice. I'm not sure what it does. I'm <laughs> Yeah, based on the name, I have no idea what it does. Yeah, so here's the thing. Jace is nuts 1v1. Let's not kid around. The fact that you can bounce a creature or you can fate seal someone, like that's really powerful. And in limited, we found in out limited. in EMA. Oh, gosh, yeah. But here's the thing. If you're just using him for his brainstorm ability, then it's not that impactful. And it's really good, again, if you're able to manipulate the top of your deck, if you're playing Narset, all that kind of stuff. But 
I think for the most part, playing a four mana, hey, everyone, please kill me now, Planeswalker, is not as powerful as people imagine. That's a really good point, because you're right. People just hear the words, Jace the Mind Sculptor, and, they and it's it. scary in their mind. So you played it, and the value and the power it gives you is not equivalent to the amount of hate that it brings. Yeah. You're right, because everyone a else four mana him. brainstorm. I mean, if you're a Narset or Jaleva, and you really need top of your deck manipulation, I get it. You're just willing to play whatever can give you those effects, and it's good in those cases. But man, I definitely would not play it in the average blue deck. Yeah. Here's the thing. I like Jace a lot. I just don't think he's great in Commander. Yeah. And you're right. Everyone else, when he comes out, everyone else overrates him too. Well, it's very easy uh, to say, oh, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yeah. Because it just has that mystique, just the name of it. And it costs a lot. It's not a cheap card. So it has a lot of different things that lend to the fact that people think it is more powerful than it actually is because of price, availability. You know, you crack open a Jason in EMA pack. It's like, wow, amazing. You got one of the top mythics in the set, you know, as opposed to, wow, that card's amazing. Uh, too bad you can't play it that well in Commander kind of thing. All right. I like it. I mean, I don't like it. I mean, I, play, I, I, mean, still, I think it's overrated. I play Jason two yeah. decks still. I have it in only a single deck, I believe, out of 24. Um, all right, my next one is going to be... Wait, I'm saving that one for, for last. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. because all I right. think that's going to be the most uh, controversial. So not to, not to tease, not to te bury the lead, or to not bury the lead, or whatever. Anyway, um, the next one is going to be Gilded Lotus. This oh, is mine. yeah. This is... You might get yelled more about this one. Than really? I don't know. It I might mean... be that I've just moved... In my mind, it hasn't been great for a long time. And this is so, a card when I saw it went, oh, I should put that on my list. This is a card that very early on in this podcast we would mention all the time. And I would put Thrawn Dynamo. You know, you could almost say, like, this is Gilded Lotus slash Thrawn Dynamo. Because those were two cards we would call out constantly probably the first year of this podcast. All the time. You notice that we've talked about it less. And I'm not saying, again, that the card is bad. But there are very only very specific decks, I think, that want it over things like I've... You've noticed we've talked about Mana Curve. I've moved more towards Signets and lower cost Ramp. I just don't love Ramp at the five mana slot. Now, Gilded, obviously, you can play it for five. Sorry, I'm going to read the card. It's a five mana artifact. You can tap it to add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. So if you play it for five, you can tap it that turn and add three. So it kind of only costs you two. Mm -hmm. If you have a three drop, which you don't always have, it's great. With some of my favorite cards of all time, like Fate Stitchers and things like that, that untap it. Because now all of a sudden... Yeah. Oh, it's great with Paradox Engine. <laughs> yeah. It, listen, it's if you have those reasons, then the card's good. But I think what I used to do, and what I don't do anymore, is jam it into basically every deck. It used to be ubiquitous to me, almost to the point of, like, Soul Ring. Yeah. And uh, I find that... And, and the reason that, you know, I don't know how you went about sort of determining your overrated cards. So I went on EDHREC and looked at that list that um, we talked about last episode with Adam Saborski uh, of all the most played cards. And then I looked at the most played cards in each color and colorless. And then I have a stack of cards. Well, I have a box. And it's basically the cards I've taken out of decks as I've tuned. Nice. And that just happens. I didn't set that up on purpose, but I've been sort of resleeving my decks in the new Eclipse sleeves. And when I go through that process, of course, I start having to retune those decks because as I'm resleeving, I'm like, Oh, let me look at this deck. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, man, I forgot. There's a new card from Amonkhet. I want to put it in here. What can I take out? And as I've been doing that, I've noticed I've been taking out Gilded Lotus, Anthron Dynamo, quite often, not all the time, but I'm looking at the deck going, it, does this card make sense? And Gilded Lotus just doesn't make sense in every deck. If you don't have utility to reuse it on the same turn, like untap it or flicker it, like Brago or something, it's actually not that great. It's just slow. 
You waste a turn playing it. Maybe you can play another rock off it or one more card or whatever. But and you're uh, wasting a big turn, turn five. Yeah, I've been punished by Guild of Lilis a lot, um, especially with my next card that I'm going to mention because I play it thinking, oh great, I'm going to be able to play X, Y, and Z out of my hand next turn now that I have access to three more mana and the land. And it gets destroyed. Something happens to it. Uh, there's so many. Yeah, diff- they dack fade in it. That oh, sucks. Gosh. Or you're giving somebody else a, a target that they can copy for free, so they actually get like a two mana gilded lotus. But you have to pay five for yours. Yeah. You basically like teed them up. It's it, got a big target over its head, yeah. and I found that of all the artifacts that get destroyed, usually if it's single target artifact destruction, gilded lotus is on that list, and it's it's it it draws a lot of hate. Yeah, it's people- very scary because it's like, oh, your next turn you might have ten mana. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Gilded Lotus. What is your next most overrated card, Jimmy? This is the card I got punished by when I tried to... So I, I used this card because I was like, I need to get a Gilded Lotus into my hand. I know I'm going to have X mana, so I'm going to use this card to find another card and not a land to the top of my library. So next turn I'm going to have... I think it was like, I'm going to have eight mana. Uh, and then someone blew it up. And then the card I drew was a spell and not a land, so I got really punished. <laughs> the card is Liliana Vest. It's another Planeswalker. Three black, black. For a five loyalty planeswalker, her plus one target player discards a card. Her minus two, search your library for a card, then shuffle your library and put that card on top of it. And her minus eight, put all creature cards from all gra- graveyards onto the battlefield under your control. Now, Liliana's great in the doubling season deck. Her minus ultimate is pretty crazy, and she stays alive. It, doubling season decks don't tend to have, uh, well, Super Friends decks don't have a ton of creatures, actually. Yeah. So I think she's not that good in those. Well, you're relying on other decks that you're bored with yeah, yeah. have creatures. But the fact that she can ultimate and stay alive with doubling season is kind of important. However, the ability to just find a card to the top of your library is strong, but for five mana, it... five mana vampiric tutor. Yeah. I mean, not look, at instant speed either. Not at instant speed. The chances she stays alive, I think, are pretty low. And also you run into the problem like I did, where sometimes if you try and plan a little too far ahead, people can really punish you and know that what you're trying to do is like, oh, he just fetched up a card that it looks like his board wants to do X next turn. I'm going to do something that actively stops that. And everyone can see it coming because Liliana lands at search for speed. You do her ability. You spend the time to search the card and put it on the top. And then you pass the turn. It's like, okay, everyone knows you just put something to the top of your library. You give a lot of information away. That's a really interesting point. And it speaks to how social dynamics work because you're absolutely right in that you have the the requirement that you have to do it during your turn means that you can't obfuscate it in the way that you can other tutors. Like how often are we like, okay, you go. I've got Enlightened Tutor. I'm going to cast it. I'm going to do that on my end step, but I'm just going to search now. Yeah. But what happens is while you're doing that, no one's paying attention to you. They're playing, paying attention to the active player whose turn it is. So you obfuscate the sort of scariness of the tutor yeah. just by virtue of the fact that you're doing it while something else more important is going on. Yeah, I mean, typically you're going to wait till the end step so you know as much information as possible. But just the fact that you're searching through, no one's looking at you. No one's playing around the fact that you're light and tutoring. They're often going to be like, oh, he's getting a Rhystic Study or whatever. You know, So it's not as like, uh-oh, what's happening? Liliana's on the table. He gets to search up a card twice now if we don't get rid of Liliana. I mean, so much of my overrated cards comes from how people react to the card when they hit the battlefield compared to their actual power level. And her plus one target player discards a card is just not great. Yeah. I mean, you can do it on yourself, sure, but you'd much rather... I mean, you're playing Liliana to use her to tutor a card to the top of your library. That is why this card is in most decks, I think. Yeah. Sidisi, Undead Vizier, five mana, and you get it into your hand. To your hand! Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, great example. And, like, here's the thing. If everyone's like, oh, you can use it twice, I'm like, good luck. How often have you ever played Liliana Vest and actually got to use it twice? Very rarely. Because... they can, somebody can usually kill your Planeswalker. They've got a couple of flyers. They have one trick. They yeah. work together to do it. Um, yeah. All right, my next one is a black card. 
And it's similar, actually. Mm -hmm. It's Diabolic Tutor. It's two black black for a sorcery. Search your library for a card and put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library. So it's exactly Demonic Tutor, just costs twice as much. Now, I know some people out there are going to be saying, well, Josh, you'd never say that about Demonic Tutor. And the only reason I'm playing Diabolic Tutor is because I can't afford Demonic Tutor or Vampiric Tutor or one of the other ones. Listen, here's the thing. I still won't play Diab Di uh, Diabolic Tutor in decks that don't have Demonic Tutor or Vampiric Tutor. I will find something like, I'd rather just draw cards than pay four mana for a tutor. <laughs> it's just too much mana. I understand that you want to find certain pieces. A combo deck is never running Diabolic Tutor, though, because you need to combo off early. Diabolic Tutor is making you... It's four mana. Mm -hmm. You can't get the card into your hand and then play it most of the time. That's... To me, it's just not worth it. I'd just rather run cards that are going to maybe just make me draw more overall cards. Right. You'd rather cast, like, and harmonize and draw three cards and play Diabolic Tutor yeah. and draw one. Yep, yep. And Diabolic Tutor is very high on that list of most played cards um, mm -hmm. that we were talking about with Stibs, and that's on EDH Rec. And that's the reason it's that the I... budget Diabolic Tutor. Yeah, and know. I get it. I get it. Like, you want budget effects, but this effect I just don't think you can pay four mana for. I just think it's way too slow. You're going to... If you do it early, you basically waste an important turn doing nothing. If you do it late, you have to have so much mana to be able to do it and then play the thing you got that I would just rather be doing something else entirely. Or find a different way to tutor stuff up that is cost-effective. Yeah, it's just too inefficient. Um, but it's better than Liliana. It how much is Beseech mana. the Queen? It's it's not ex super expensive, no. right? Beseech the Queen is much cheaper. I like that card a lot. I think it is very specific to certain decks, yeah. but I still like that card more than Diabolic Tutor. Yeah, me too. I, I wouldn't say I would never play Di Diabolic Tutor, but I am saying I I never play it now. Like I don't have a single deck I look through that has Diabolic Tutor in it. Now, in theory, is there a deck that may work in? Sure, but I just think in general, it's not it's not good. Yeah. All right, my second-to-last top five overrated cards in Commander is Ooh, one wow. that I play a lot. I was surprised. You play this maybe more than anybody else in our playgroup. Yeah, and I overrate it, <laughs> I think, <laughs> because my decks aren't built to really abuse this effect. Uh, and it's very similar to Jace's uh, Brainstorm ability as well in, in terms of like, ah, eh, it just doesn't do enough for me. It's Scroll Rack. It's a two-mana artifact uh, that you use maybe twice before you never use it again. Okay, uh, you pay one and you tap it to exile any number of cards from your hand face down. So let's say if I have a seven-card hand, I'm going to take five cards and put them face down. And I put that many cards from the top of my library into my hand. So I don't draw them, but I essentially take five cards. Now you do draw them. It just doesn't count as yeah, draw. It's drawing, yeah. yeah. And then I look, after I put those cards into my hand, I can look at my hand, and then I take the cards I exiled face down, and I put them on top of my library in any order. So, so you basically swap cards from your hand for that many cards from the top of your library. Yep. It's really great when you play this on turn two and turn three. You can swap out your entire hand. It's really good with fetch lands. It's a great way to shuffle your deck up. But the more you play, and if you don't have a ton of card draw in your deck to always keep your hand filled up, Skorak slowly gets worse and worse and worse. Because you're just... What happens is you take your cards in your hand, you put them on the top of your deck, and now you know everything that you're drawing for the next four or five turns. Yeah, unless you can fetch it fetch away. Fetch land or, yeah. Uh, at the same time, it's just a lot of mental math to like figure out, okay, I need to draw this, this, and this correctly, and then you're basing it off a board state that you don't necessarily know what's going to happen. It's actually way worse than Sensei's dividing top as far as the amount of time oh, yeah. it takes. Because it oh. doesn't matter how good of a player you are, it's too there's too much calculation that has to happen for it to be fast. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's incredibly good with Narset, Angeleva, and all those cards. Like that, This scroll rack is very important in those decks because you want to stack the top of your deck. But I think in general, unless you have a lot of consistent card draw, Scroll Rack will very slowly just become, you have three cards in your hand, you can use Scroll Rack, and then you're just going to see the same cards over and over again. It's going to be very hard for you to 
I don't know. It just to me, I just overrate this card a lot. I think that the deck has to really be built to use it well to have it be super powerful. Otherwise, it's kind of like a one-two time effect that you know you can do it once or twice, and then at a certain point, you're playing out enough cards in your hand, you're not drawing them fast enough to make it good at that point anymore. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I I have it in a few decks, but I used to think again it was a ubiquitous go in every deck card, and I think it's not that uh, anymore. Um, and and you'll notice, I think, if you play scroll, scroll Rack, that that play pattern that you describe, which is like you use it, and then after turn five or six, you just find yourself not using it because you know all of this stuff. I know what's down there. I know what's in my hand. There's nothing I can do, mm-hmm. you know, to change this equation because I don't have a fetch land, and that's just kind of where you end up. And so what happens is, is it worth it to sort of swap the top of your deck a couple of times for a card? Again, if you have a bunch of stuff that cares about the top of your deck, then that's very specific to your deck. But in general, like your average deck, maybe yeah, not. maybe not, maybe not. I would say still like mono white. It's it's not it's still not great, but mono white just has trouble looking yeah. at a lot of cards, so it's better there. But Breaking if you've got blue bonus. or something, you probably don't. Yeah, you don't need this in blue for yeah. the most part. Yeah. All right, is this my last one? It is. Okay, save the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My um, last overrated card is Oblivion Ring. It's two and a white for an enchantment. When O-Ring enters the battlefield, exile another target non-land permanent. And then when O-Ring leaves the battlefield, return the exiled card to the battlefield under its owner's control. So there's a whole slew of these cards, Detention Sphere and such, and I would put most of them into this category, although some are a lot better than others. Um, I'll talk about sort of why I don't like O-Ring specifically. Like Grasp mm-hmm. of Fate. Okay, I'm not talking about Grasp of Fate. That gets a, a card from every opponent. That's yeah. totally different. Detention Sphere obviously gets the ones with the same names. Um, Cast Out, I think, is even better than O-Ring because it's instant speed. It has Flash, also Cycling. O-Ring, though, is a staple card in white. Um, you'll see a lot of people put it on, you know, sort of the most played white cards. And I find myself playing it very rarely. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of reasons. One, sorcery speed. Yeah. yeah. Sorcery speed is bad. Cast out's better because it's got flash. Cast out is a miles better because of flash. I'm yeah. just I to me, the ability to sort of see what's happening and react is so powerful in Commander because there's just not a way to have answers to everything. Mm-hmm. So I can only afford to answer the things that are actually going to be doing something bad to me right now. But at the time that bad thing happens is often on my opponent's turn, in which case O-Ring doesn't do anything. And if I have to wait until it's my turn, sometimes it's too late. Um, The other thing is the clause where the thing comes back when O-Ring goes away. And again, this is maybe a little bit to do with our meta Mm -hmm. in that, you know, and it might be because I play a lot of decks with a lot of enchantments or I used to. There's just plenty of enchantment hate rolling around there's yeah. decimates and crosin grips and return to dusts and you know not to mention cyclonic rifts and stuff like that and so o-ring often very often doesn't get rid of the thing for very long and once again i'm looking at the alternatives and it might be my play style and that i don't play mono white so there's the utter ends and the anguish on makings and the things like that that are instant and they exile and it doesn't come back and then I feel like most colors, even Chaos Warp, I think is quite a bit better than this card. Um, yeah, I'm just not a huge fan. Now, again, it's good and it does stuff, 
Like, it's not like O-Ring doesn't affect the game, and it, occasionally you play an O-Ring, and it just gets rid of the thing for the remainder of the game. It can take out Planeswalkers, Josh, don't forget. It can do things like that. And tokens. Yep. <laughs> um, so I'm not saying it's bad, but I do find myself not using it that often, and I, yeah. it's a card I see in games quite often. And quite often I see it, and my first thought is like, oh, good, they O-Ringed that thing. I can get that back later. Yeah, that's a good point. And you can get it back if you're, you know, with a crossing grip at like the best possible yes. moment too. So. Oh, that's a really good point. You're, yeah. A lot of times I'm thinking, oh, I'm gonna hose them because of O-ring because I can instant speed remove the O-ring and now I can get that creature back at instant speed and you know I can, you know, whatever it is that they O-ringed, I can uh, use that ability or block out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, ugh, I just, I just don't love the card. Well, that's okay because. I think it's a great card, but I actually played in almost zero decks. So. <laughs> There's just better ways to answer stuff, I think. Um, I'd rather do something that affects the bigger board at as a whole than just a single target removal spell. Or I'd rather have like a charm that has like a mode that gets rid of something, but it also has other modes. Right. Like, you know, just... Yeah. Anyway, your your last uh, one is well, it's a little bit cheaty because it's actually three cards. But yeah, it is. I mean, I can talk about the worst of all of them, but uh, the uh, it's the not um, it's basically the sword series, but not feast and famine or fire, uh, and ice. fire and ice. Yeah, so sword of light and shadow, war and peace, and body and mind. Um, now they can go in any deck. They get protection from two colors. They get plus two, plus two, and it costs three. And they they each have an equip cost of two. So overall, a pretty efficient card, and they all have different things on them about their special abilities. I just don't think they're that good um, when you could be doing something else. One, equipment in general is a bit of a risk in any game of Magic because it's an equipment. It can either get blown up, or if the creature dies, then it becomes unequipped. It's just hard to interact at a faster speed. than You have to use sorcery speed to equip it, yada, yada, yada. And I think the effects on all of these are so minimal compared to how good Feast and Famine and Fire and Ice is that these swords really just don't stand up. Um, Light and Shadow, for instance, whenever you deal combat damage to a player, you get three life and you can return the creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Good in certain decks, just okay in a lot of different decks. War and Peace, uh, it deals damage to a player. When you, do, when you deal combat damage to a player, it deals damage to that player equal to the number of cards in their hand, and you gain one life for each card in your hand. It's okay. Sort of body in mind, whenever a equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you create a 2-2 green wolf creature token, and then that player mills 10 cards. So they're all somewhat powerful i'm not gonna they, say they also are give not. protection from two yeah. colors so that yeah especially uh war and peace and body and mind their effects are just so minimal yeah that yeah it doesn't seem worth it also i don't think when it's actually on the battlefield people will differentiate the difference between feast and famine fire and ice and these two so you get the same amount of hate that you would but you don't get yeah. the same amount of upside yeah, and it's funny because I lost a game because someone had this sort of fire and ice on the Birds of Paradise, your number five, and I was like, oh, gosh, I'm getting beat in the air by two each time. I can never play my commander because he just dies to the ability. So, I mean, here's the thing. The swords are very good in certain situations. You'll find that in certain metas, one sword will just win you the game because no one can uh, no one can interact with it because it's, it's protecting your creature from their colors. But I just think they're really overrated as far as these other three swords go. The, the two we mentioned earlier are really good, and these three I just think are just okay and really not worth a slot in a lot of decks unless you're aiming to abuse the ability very specifically. Because the other ones just work without it. Yeah. Well, 
you all feast and famine you always have a bunch of lands you can untap you basically get twice as many lands in a turn um Fire and Ice drawing a card and dealing two damage to kill something very relevant. These yeah. other ones, though, just not that impactful. The mill doesn't feel like it will matter much on the one. Uh, two, two, wolf, eh, it's fine. Um, the, like I said, Light and Shadow is the only one that's kind of decent because you dr- basically draw a card if you have a creature card in your graveyard. Yeah. Um, the War and Peace gaining life and then dealing damage for cards in their hand, it's just, it's not actual advantage. Uh, uh, as far as board or card advantage, it's just you're. It's kind of like lava axing them a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, unless the person is trying to lab maniac and win the game, then sure. But I've found that it's like, all right, deal five, I gain three, and it's it does a lot of damage over the long run, but it's not as impactful as just you know. There's different ways to be impactful. And yeah, I think these swords are great, just not awesome. Yeah, you can definitely play them. They're they're definitely better than a lot of equipment. And if you don't yeah. have the other ones, obviously the other ones are more expensive. And there's probably people going, "Well, yeah, yeah, you only like the expensive ones." Well, they're expensive because they're better. They're better, yeah, it's yeah, better. Um, all right, all right. Well, that does okay. it for our top five overrated cards. So, yep, get on the internets, the Twitters, and the comment section, and come at us. I know. Yeah. We're ready for it. Well, that's what our two of the listeners this time, which is, do you disagree with any of our choices? They disagree, I promise. Uh, what does your local meta tend to overrate? I want to know if this is different around the world, if, if for some reason, you know, Avenger of Zendikar is just the best card in your meta for whatever reason. And instead of just coming at us like, you're totally wrong about Damnation, I want to... Go ahead and do that. I'm not saying don't. I'm saying I, also in that same comment, email, tweet, or whatever... Let us know what a card is you think is overrated, though. Yeah. Because you'll find that it's actually kind of hard to come up with, and you'll find yourself actually naming cards that you do think are good, you just don't think they're as good as everyone else thinks, yeah. which is what overrated is. And please justify your decisions as well and why we're wrong. It's great to have reasoning outside of, you're wrong, you know. You're that, an idiot. That doesn't start a conversation that ends it. You know something that's not overrated? CardKingdom.com, our sponsor for the show. That's right. Segwayman. Segwayman. So uh, make sure you guys, again, go to CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone to use our affiliate link so that you cannot buy these overrated cards. Or if the conversation has spurred you to prove us wrong and show us that, yes, Scroll Rack really is the legitness, then buy it from CardKingdom.com slash Command Zone, and they'll ship it to you very nice and quickly. They have everything you need. They also have a lot of Ultra Pro products, including these brand-new Legend of Zelda sleeves that uh, I guess... Ultra Pro got the license for recently, which is awesome. Oh I'm yeah, the biggest they, Legend of they Zelda actually fan the have a, a Legend of Zelda playmat that yeah. looks sweet. Um, it's got the same logo, I think, as this, but across the whole playmat. If you watch Game Nights episode number seven, which just came out, you will have a chance to win uh, this stuff, including that playmat. So, if you haven't watched it, go watch it and enter the contest. But also, you can purchase that stuff um, from Ultra Pro. A lot of it's at Card Kingdom or any other online retailer. So. Or physical retailer. Yeah. So, also, Black Eclipse Leaves coming soon. Oh, yeah. Big thanks to Ultra Pro and Card Kingdom. They are great sponsors, and they help us keep the show going and all our content flowing. And that rhymed. I mean it. Nice. Anybody want a peanut? Nope. All right. Now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool. Oh, crap. Outside the world of magic. What do you got, Jimmy? Hmm? What uh, are we doing? We're talking about something cool outside the world of magic? Mm-hmm. Um, Listen, I want to dedicate this end step to something inside the world of magic. It is GP Vegas. Oh, that's a good one. It is coming up very, very soon. So those of you that cannot make it, I'm sorry. You can turn off the podcast now or whatever. If you're on the fence or if you are attending, there's some stuff we want to talk about. GP Vegas, first of all, is going to be awesome. Jimmy and I will be there the entire time. We are involved in the actual GP. We're going to be playing in some spell slinging events. So, bounty events. Some as well. bounty events. So, you'll be able to, I believe on Friday, 
from five to nine is the bounty event that we're going to be participating in, which means if you're in that sealed tournament, uh, if you, if you face off against one of us and you manage to knock us out, then I think there's uh, additional prizes for you. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of other uh, people from around the Magic world. Our buddy Cassius Marsh is also going to be uh, at GP Vegas and playing in some of those events. Um, we are going to be doing a live... It's not live. A, an episode of the Command Zone, though, in front of a live audience. It yeah. will be recorded and released at a later date. Um, so you're going to be able to attend that, which we would love for you to do. And of course, most importantly... And what I'm going to be calling the biggest event outside of the main event at GP Vegas is going to be our Command Zone gathering. Heck yeah. So Thursday night, that's the 15th, from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the Plaza Hotel. And we're going to be giving further information about specifics of what exact ballroom that we're located in uh, on Twitter. So follow us there at CommandCast. But at that time and date, we're going to be having a great big bash and it's going to be a celebration of Casual Magic, Commander, all things that make the MTG community great. There's going to be a bunch of, you know, our our content creator friends there, a whole ton of people. We're going to give, be giving out free drafts. We've got tons of prizes to give away. Holy crap. Yeah. We are going to be <clears throat> giving special stuff to, I think, everyone. So Every, Just about everyone should get something. I mean, at a certain point, we will run out, but we have yeah. a lot. Ultra Pro donated a ton of stuff. Wizards of the Coast has contributed. Um, we have, you know, cases and cases of product that we're going for, for, for people to draft for free. There's going to be snacks. There's going to be tons of people. It's going to be awesome. Bring your EDH decks. And bring modern. Bring everyone your decks. There will be people around to spell sling whatever you want to spell sling. So and it's no cost. You just show up. There's going to be you know a raffle. You'll be able to enter to win prizes. Um, and again. All that stuff is going to be available to you just by walking in the door. So Yep, yep. So we hope to see you there at GP Vegas. It is outside the world of Magic in that we are in Las Vegas, uh, and there are other fun things to do there. So hopefully we'll see you around the city. You can eat some delicious restaurants. Josh, what's a, what's a restaurant they sh- everyone should go to? I think the most uh, underrated steakhouse in Vegas is Delmonico in the Venetian. Now, a lot nice. of people will talk about Craft Steak and a few of the others, and I think Delmonico is uh, on that list. I would also say the single best dessert in Vegas is the banana cream pie at Emerald's Fish House in the MGM. Wow. I will often just go there just to get the pie, not to eat anything else at the restaurant, just to get the pie. They have to like let the crust sit for three days just to soak up all the butter and stuff. Mm-hmm. That uh, is incredible. Yeah, so go there. Ooh, um, uh, I would say the best breakfast buffet is the, the Bacchanal Buffet at oh yeah, Caesar's, Caesar's Palace. Palace. Yeah, They're, the line is long, so just make sure that when you do go, you plan ahead so you don't have to sit in line for an hour, but Boy, that buffet is whew, out of this world. And one other thing I'll say is Jimmy and I will be around, in and around the convention hall and Vegas the entire time, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So follow us on Twitter, and we're going to be constantly updating that, just saying where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll often be, like, in the convention hall. We're at table 743. We're gathering commander players, and you'll see that, like, you know, we'll get a ton, 30 to 50 players, and we'll create our own little commander area in the convention hall. Happens at most GPs. It's going to be no different here. Also, we'll be doing things like, you know, probably like, hey, we're going to go to dinner. So if anybody, any of our listeners around, they can come with us. That kind of thing at GP Vegas. going to be a lot of chance for hangouts, and we hope to see you there. Yeah, great. Nice end step. Perfect. All right. (laughs) Some other people that are going to be there are Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman from the Masters of Modern podcast. They are our sister podcast. They talk about modern, and there is a modern tournament at GP Vegas. And all things competitive magic, you can find them on Twitter at the MMCast 
or right next to us at collected.company, which is our magic hub. Or you can find them, like I said, at GP Vegas in just a couple of weeks. You can also find our editor, Terry Robertson, for Terry's going to be there, too. Who's going to be running around with us the whole time. And, uh, of course, if you guys want to watch the video versions of the podcast, you can go to YouTube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast, where you can see the cards that we talk about. And, of course... That guy's going to be at GP Vegas, too. Oh, really? Yeah, I Excellent. saw him tweet out. So Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Cards animations that begin and end every episode on YouTube, uh, he's also going to be at the Command Zone gathering on Thursday night. Yeah. If you've seen Jeffrey's work, he, he works for Channel Fireball. He even works for, I believe, the Pro Tour. He does stuff for Magic the Amateuring and the, and the, uh, the Super Leagues. He's the guy that animates all the cards so that the cards are actually moving and have motion to them. Very yeah, cool stuff. Very, Jeffrey's very a very cool. talented guy. Yeah, you can find him on Twitter at LivingCardsMTG or, again, all of us at GP Vegas this year, 2017. So we will see you all in, I believe, when you're listening to this, it's like a week, a, a week, week and a yeah, half. a week and a half, yeah. So we'll see you soon. Can't wait. Bye, everyone. Peace. I, I said it. Peace. Peace. For your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.